0: Well good morning everybody and thank you very much indeed for your warm welcome. Introductions and presentations, that's what it's all about, isn't it? To give a good impression. Well this morning I want to give a good impression, but I want to just tell you a bit of a backstory before I get there, excuse me. If I just nod at Brian. Ah, there we go. First snipe. Should we to the second one then, shall we? <laughs> Oh, look at this. Now, I'll have to be really honest with you this morning that I'm just a real bloke, all right? I'm just an ordinary person, trust me. Uh, With an accent like this, you would not believe that I was born in Glasgow. Now, um, I also just need to share with you, um, I wouldn't normally um, do all my preparation and then admit to a congregation that I've got no introduction. And that sounds like a bad show, Ian. It really does. But I want to, in a moment, just share with you uh, something that happened to me at 3:38 this morning, and it is only because it is only because I did all my preparation and I sent to Brian my PowerPoint yesterday. You know how you got this magic moment? You just press the button and boof, off it goes. You think I just can't get it back, and uh, I had one of those moments with Diane yesterday, and it was something like I'm trying to get. A title for tomorrow. I really am struggling. And uh, I was saying, looking back and looking beyond the cross. And Diane looked at me and she just gave me one of those moments that when you talk to your wife and she says to you, that doesn't look right. <laughs> and there was like a pit of my stomach went, really? And I thought, yes, you're right. But anyway, so I nod to you again, Brian, see how this works, because we we'll see how it goes. Um, I came up with three R's, because some of you are probably thinking to yourself, Ian, I want it straightforward. I want to remember something, I want to reflect on something, and I want to receive on something. Now, I've got the three R's, I've got the message. But then I said to the Lord, very dangerously, I said, Lord, would you please just give me an introduction, because I really need one. And basically, at 3.38 this morning, it does not normally happen to me, honestly. I woke up and I just got these words. And I will be honest with you, I've never, ever heard the word of God. And I'm not saying I did last night or 3.38 this morning. And it was this. The Lord said to me, Ian, declare in front of this church this morning, every day is a day of salvation. Every day is a day of salvation. And I only said to the Lord... Diane was sleeping. She was horizontal at 3.38 this morning. (laughs) But I said, Lord, you really want me to stand up in front of a congregation and say a declaration like, every day is a salvation day. And James this morning has said to us this morning that someone has come to Christ this week. Isn't that lovely? Every day is a day of salvation. And almost with tears in my eyes, I struggled to go downstairs. And I wrote in, the, in my notes this morning, Ian, you've got to say it. Every day is a day of salvation. And that is true. And I said, Lord, will the church actually get it? And I just felt the Lord saying, Ian, don't be so silly. Of course they'll get it. Of course they will. They'll all get it. And I thought to myself, but how can I communicate this clearly and succinctly to this congregation? And it came back to me again, probably 3.39 by now. And it just, you know what? Palm Sunday is all about preparing, as we've heard this morning, for the biggest gig, for the biggest event that we can celebrate in the church, and that is Easter Sunday next week. And I realised what a privilege it is to come this morning and to declare upon you as a church that every day is a day of salvation. Every day that we live, we have an opportunity to share and to live out this good news, and I just thought, Lord, if I can stand up in front of the church this morning and say that, I just need to get it right for you guys. So, can I just open up in prayer now? Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, as that did break the loaves beside the sea. Beyond the sacred page, I seek Thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. So here we go for the first part. It's going to be looking at the story from the Old Testament. And some of you may have heard this many, many, many times before. But we have uh, the backstory in the book of Exodus. We have uh, the Hebrew people who are the Israelites who are living under Pharaoh. And it comes at a point in Exodus, about 1,450 years before Christ. And as we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, the whole community, and that's an important word. I don't know if the words are up there, but don't worry about that, Brian, for the moment. I've got them here. But if you've got a Bible in front of you, these words were for the whole community. Okay, in verse 4. And it says, a man had to take a lamb for his family. And there was, if you like, a preparation for the Passover. We've got the plagues that have just happened beforehand now. But this is a story about the Passover, about how they would celebrate the Passover, the Jews in Egypt. And it was important that this man would actually choose a lamb, the head of the household. It was to be without defect, it says. But they were also to take care of it. And that's quite important that he had, if you like, responsibility to make sure that this sacrifice was pure. And it's very important, we'll come back to that later on. And as we go through reading the story from Exodus, we read about there being blood that is put on the sides of the tops of the door frames and of the houses. And it's almost as though the people of God are on a journey, and if you like, they're getting ready, because they're told to put their cloak inside their belt and also put sandals on their feet and their staff. And in verse 11 it says about the Lord's Passover and the Lord's Passover is Yahweh's Passover and it is the Lord's Passover should read it is the Passover for the this is the Passover victim for Yahweh and Tim Keller who is a well-known speaker, has said about this story, about the first Passover. At the centre of this faith story is the bloody death of a helpless victim. I'll say it again. At the centre of this faith story is the bloody death of a helpless victim. And it's important that we realise that on this Palm Sunday, where we celebrate Jesus going into the temple, which we'll come to later on, and that great big welcome. We've sung some of the uh, songs this morning and the word Hosanna. But it was a day of selection in the Old Testament. Today is the day, the first day of Passover, when the man had to select the lamb, had to select the lamb. It was called the Day of Selection. And then there's the verses in Exodus chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, where they are instructed to actually do this in remembrance. There's this word called commemorate. And there's a bit of a pause here. We need to remember the day when the angel of death passed over their homes. And they gave thanks to God for saving them from the death of slavery and sin. And as we think about this moving story... Um, I came across this statement, God cannot forgive the debt without payment. And it's important, some of us sometimes use the Lord's Prayer. And I'll be honest with you this morning, I'm sometimes guilty of saying that part in the Lord's Prayer. Where it says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And sometimes I've been guilty at maybe forgiving our debtors... But first, we need to ask God to forgive our debts. And as we think about that innocent lamb that was slain in the early Passover days, we just have to think about that that almost begins to give us that idea that there has to be a payment for us. And we know as Christians that it was Jesus who died on the cross, that we will be celebrating that he brought that victory on that cross. But I just want to pause just for a moment, if I can, and just share with you. And it struck me again about this idea of the angel of death going through um, Egypt. And there was a promise that the Israelites had to paint that blood on the doorposts. And it was significant that... The day after, there was life and there was death. There was the firstborn son that survived, but yet in someone's house there was a dead lamb. And in someone's house that same morning, the firstborn son was lost. And I found that extremely moving to think about that idea that God asked the Israelites to do something that was very, very strange. But when we think back about this phrase I put up on here, to remember the debt that was paid, as we enter this week, as Richard was saying about all these things that he's doing, we are all going to be extremely busy and it will be good for all of us at some point to take time to think about the debt that Jesus has paid for us. It will be a good time for us to remember the Old Testament story, the, our Jewish history in that sense. But before I come today to look at this very, very well-known story of Jesus entering the, uh, the, like the temple and his welcome into Jerusalem... I just want to mention, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, John chapter 1 and verse 29. And it's John the Baptist who actually saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the readers of John's Gospel were actually aware of this messianic figure down through Jewish history that would, in actual fact, excuse me, that in actual fact be a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. and so it is as we think back to not only just a lamb being sacrificed, there's another story of Abraham and Isaac, a very, very familiar story and it's. Some of you have maybe have heard this time and time again, but I just hope that you'll just receive this again in a fresh way. But it is Abraham who is asked by God to go and sacrifice his son. And as he takes his son away with the stuff around him, there's a little piece in Genesis 22 and verses 7 and 8. Isaac, it says here, spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. The two of them went on together. And there you've got a substitute. God provided a lamb or a ram in place of Isaac. And that's in the Old Testament. So this idea of a sacrifice being made on our behalf is so important that we need to be reminded ourselves of this morning. Can I have the next slide, please? Brian. And I thought this morning, and I didn't know if there be any children in this morning, so there we go. Uh, but I don't know what you're like about uh, imagining this morning um, I'd like you, if you could, come with me and just imagine the scene. Now, some of you may know about... Uh, there's a place called Ober- in Oberammergau in Bavaria, that um, every ten years they put this huge production on. And the reason why they do this production of the Passion Play is quite simply because in about 1633 there was a bubonic plague that went through Bavaria. And they made a promise to God and to the local community to say that if we were spared, we would actually put this play on. And so that's what they do every 10 years. And for some reason, I don't know why I found this out, but the next one is uh, 2020. Sorry if that helps anybody, but there we go. But you can go if you want to. But this play that is put on... Okay, is on a massive, massive stage. And I'd like you just to imagine for a moment, if you could, this scene. And if I could this morning, uh, I should maybe say this to you, but if I could, I'd love to take you to Israel. If you've been to Israel or have an offer to go, please, please go. Because this particular passage we will end with Jesus coming out of Jerusalem. And then returning to Bethany. But, but Ian, you haven't even got to the first bit. I know I haven't. I'm just sort of like, because if you then some of you who've been to Israel or know what I'm talking about will know that it's quite an easy, straightforward walk to do. And when we read the Bible, it's about a real person in a real time and a real place. But look, before we get to this sort of idea. I don't know if there's a scoop that Matthew ever had. The gospel writers, I sometimes was thinking about this this week, and I sometimes thought, I would sometimes wonder, having been taught theology at Bible college, do you know what? Uh, I just wonder if, like, using the modern-day language, whether in actual fact we know that there are different stories in different places in the Bible, and I'm happy with that. But I just wonder whether Matthew... And other writers, they sometimes put things in as a bit of a, as a, bit of a tease, as a little bit of a, a, a thoughtful way of putting their character uh, through. And it's Matthew's Gospel. Uh, he He's the only Gospel writer to actually have predicted the death of Jesus. And I want to read it to you. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way he took his twelve aside. Now, I like that idea. Being busy, like what we are today, the way we live, we are so, so busy, maybe this week we can take some time to take some aside time, and it's only right that you've got this uh, service on Friday where we remember Jesus' death on the cross, to take some time aside. He then says, Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be delivered, over to the chief priests. And if I was asking for cast members for a play, for the passion play, I wonder if some of you would volunteer to be the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And so it was, those chief priests of the law actually knew the Jewish laws. They knew that they weren't allowed to kill anybody. They will condemn him to death, Jesus says, and will hand him over to the Gentiles And these are the three things that Matthew writes, that no other gospel writer writes about. He says, he'll be mocked, he'll be flogged, and he'll be crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And I think that is just an amazing thing, to hear those words from Jesus. And now we're coming to this sort of idea of Jesus speaking to his two disciples. So some of you might like to be two disciples, I don't know. And he says to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her, a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say to the Lord, Needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. And I think that's amazing to think that these two disciples actually did something very, very practical. And like James was saying, and I think Andy was saying, and Jackie was saying, that we need help this week to be a part of uh, the children's club. And I think it's so vital that just sometimes we think that practical work isn't actually important. And so often we just think, oh, maybe someone else could do that. Maybe I could do that. And I think just sometimes we actually want to encourage each other more and more to be, like this this sign says here, who cares? We all want to care for one another. And it's important that we, like the disciples, actually are obedient. And in verse 6, it says the disciples, I'm almost going to put in here, and did it. But, you know, that's exactly what they did. They actually did this to fulfil all this practical work of going to get a donkey for Jesus. I just thought that was incredible this week, to fulfil the Old Testament prophecy. And some of the Old Testament prophecies, some of you may know the ones I'm going to reference now, I don't know. But there's a from Zechariah 9 and verse 9. It says, "Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. See your king comes to you, lowly, riding on a donkey. Shout, daughter, Jerusalem. Righteous and victorious on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter Zion, See, our Saviour comes. I don't know about you, but if you're putting on a play that includes children and grown ups, I don't know about you, but trying to then get a very big crowd together is going to be very demanding. I'm thinking of Sir Richard Attenborough and his production of Gandhi, who actually, when I saw a bit of a post-production presentation, a little preview of that, I'm thinking of the thousands of people that he had to be in control of. It was unbelievable that he actually got the film together, a a complete masterpiece, but that's an aside. But in verse 8 of Matthew, it talks about a very large crowd spreading their cloaks... And just here, I need to just pause for a moment and to um, remember that there was a, a little, there was a, I didn't say a little lady, I apologise, but she was little. And I was very small at the time when I was actually at Sunday school. And she had this, uh, I don't know if we still have it these days, but is it, would you call it a flannel graph green, flannelgraph green thing? <laughs> yeah, anyway, so I can really still remember her to this day. When she had this green thing and I was sitting down in a very small seat looking up at her and uh, it was just amazing, she then slapped on Jesus, the donkey you know, and then she brought on these great big sort of buildings it was as if like <sighs> I, you know, just like you know, no tech in those days you know, and so there it was this green thing and suddenly Jesus on the donkey and then there were crowds and it just built up and built up and built up from being a complete green space. And it was just amazing to see. Now, just like I just thank God for Miss Smith who taught me in Sunday school and honour her and all her faithful teaching over the years. But as we think about the scene, as we think about the activity, as we think about who we might have been In that story, I'm going to come clean and I'm going to say I would like to be one of the disciples to be taken aside. But I can't actually put it into words, this feeling, if you look at verse 10 of Matthew 21, it says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, was stirred. Now, I've only ever been... Okay, to one concert where I have come away absolutely thinking to myself, what have I just witnessed? Now, I shouldn't tell you this, but I will. I took my sons and Diane to a Coldplay concert. (laughs) Aww, don't ah me. Anyway, so we went to this concert. And I don't know if the last time you were in a crowd. Well, we were pretty high up at this Coldplay concert. It wasn't just Coldplay singing. It was (laughs) Jay-Z. Now, anybody who knows about Jay-Z will just know that Wembley Stadium, where we were at, I just could not believe the crowd. I thought the place was going to rock. You talk about being stirred. I was only sitting down. And the crowds, when it came to Jay-Z, they were doing all this. They were, you know, it was just, I was upset. And we think about the crowd being stirred in Jerusalem. I just, like, thought of this. But not only did, if you like, the feeling of the temperature going up, in this concert after jay-z i thought coldplay are coming on next i just like i thought if this if this is like the warm-up act jay-z to coldplay where are we going to go and it went up even further and i thought to myself this morning i cannot convey to you sort of almost like the excitement the exuberance and trying to communicate to you and to me this morning that the whole city of Jerusalem was stirred. There was something happening. Jesus, on Palm Sunday, was entering the city of Jerusalem. They were stirred. And some of them said, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet. Sorry. Sorry, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And here he was coming on a donkey. Now all the prophecies would have said that there would be a king and very often they would ride on a horse. But Jesus came in on a donkey. He came in peace. And he later on went into the temple courts. We read, he overturned the tables. That was his one action that he did. I just want to, if I could, just mention this morning, sometimes in our lives, our lives can be turned upside down. And you say, Ian, you're preaching this morning, you're speaking on Palm Sunday about Jesus coming into the temple and you've got the children singing and you've got everybody crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And then you've got Jesus going in and doing one action, turning the tables over. And we know that from history that the crowds turned from praise from today until it was later on in the week. They were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And the crowd changed from that stirring of emotion and thinking to themselves, is this the time? Is this the time? And later on we just read, Jesus returns to Bethany. He returns home to Martha, to Elizabeth and to Lazarus, to someone that he rose from the dead. And as we just think about the New Testament and the idea of Jesus, as we have looked back at the Old Testament idea of sacrifice, as we have looked at Jesus coming into the temple, and as we then move a little bit, not to, steer, not to steal the thunder of anybody coming up next week, but Jesus on the cross on what we call Good Friday, he turns to one of the criminals who's actually crucified with him and he says to him that today you will be in paradise. This was a day of salvation. This was a day of salvation where one criminal just turned to Jesus And he recognised who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He was the saving King. And his last dying breaths, he made a simple request for salvation. And Luke chapter 23 and verse 42 says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I just want us just for a moment to think about as we approach this week. And I want us just to come, if we can in our mind, just think about, we've gone through the Old Testament a little bit, we've gone through the New Testament. I just want to take us just for a few short moments, okay, to think something through for ourselves about the cross. And these are the words, it is finished. The work of Jesus is finished finished on the cross you may remember i said that it was the responsibility of the jewish head of the house to select a lamb and that was on palm sunday i want to just move to my right and your left okay and i want to arrive here okay at the cross And the reason why I'm doing that is because the man selected a lamb on Palm Sunday. His responsibility was to keep it pure and have it slaughtered on the day that Jesus died. And when Jesus died outside of the city wall, at the appointed time, it was the responsibilities of the priests in the temple to stop the killing of the sacrifices at the exact same time. And when I thought about that, those words, as we probably hear them again, there are now no more sacrifices. Jesus has died once and all. Once and for all. It was in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, and some of you, if you have a Bible with you, can turn to Paul's word. He's talking to the church now, and he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And I think that is just incredible, to think that our debt for our sin has been brought with a price, his life, the priceless son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord today and saviour. And I want to, if I just nod again at Brian, we can have... Oh, there you go. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Ooh, it's nice. Oh, this week... Um, I've been actually asking my Year 7s, at the end of every class, um, what I do at Easter time. I say, come up with uh, five words to do with Easter. And it's really been quite funny, really, because uh, they always say, come up with chocolate. And, you know, five words, you know, any words. But a little boy this week came out of my class, and what I tend to do, I'm a bit teacher, you know. I like to welcome them into the class, okay, teach. I also stand in the back, stand, stand in the back, and actually say, "Guys, thanks for coming. Good to see you, Thanks for coming, as they go out. And this little boy says to me, "Jesus has paid the debt." I thought, "Isn't that lovely?" Mm-hmm. And it was just totally unexpected. Just totally, totally unexpected, <laughs> just five words from a year seven student. And so the next slide, I think, from a of Brian, out, ah, this is the one. I'm a bit, 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 I'm bit of a fan of this guy, but um, I've met him once. uh, That's all. Uh, But Tom Wright, uh, he has a book called Simply Jesus. And uh, forgive me for the long quote. I try to get my quotes down as short as possibly can, maybe to five words. But uh, the church is not supposed to be a society of perfect people doing great work. It's a society of forgiven sinners repaying the unpayable debt of love by working for jesus kingdom in every way they can knowing themselves to be unworthy of the task i think very often from time to time the work that we do tirelessly for the lord all the practical work all the praying that we do it's an unpayable debt jesus has paid the debt for us. And Tom just puts it in a very lovely way. As a church, this is me and you. We're so unworthy of the task. We are just sinners. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found the bread. Could you turn to the next slide, please, Brian? So this is the the final slide. And as I was praying about what I should say to you this morning as well as the word that came to me this morning about declaring every day is a salvation day, I just thought that this verse just really was just, it was just so amazing. Some of you may know 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. And for so many years, I've looked at 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. And sometimes... We need to sort of sometimes reread the Bible and just stop and ponder on God's word. And it says this You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and now they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ. And I just want to close the service, or to close this part of the service of me talking to you this morning. And I want to declare and just say to you this morning that today is a day of salvation. For you and for me, there's a coming back to God, to wanting our lives to be restored, to be renewed, and an opportunity to see Jesus for who he really is. He is the Son of God, the living Word, He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen.